0: What is a false prophet? How can we really know?
1: I found that people have this idea that false prophets are people that they disagree with theologically. That's a lot of the time what happens and I've found that people will throw around this term false prophet and all of that to just try to manipulate somebody else and put them under rather than study themselves to see if there is a potentially different perspective scripturally. And because of the lack of experience and on their part, does not mean that everybody else has created a theology based on experience.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this edition of Ignite Global Radio. Ignite features the Bible teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon, lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. What is a false prophet? Well, it's not too hard to discern them because the Bible tells us several ways to see them. I invite you to stick around for Pastor Ben's message, False Prophets, which brings clarity to this important question. If you'd like to know more about Ignite Global Radio, go to our website, igniteglobalradio.org. And while you're there, subscribe to our podcast and take a look at the two books Pastor Ben has written, Prophesy and Hearing God. Now here he is with this message, False Prophets.
1: I've been criticized an incredible amount. Like at my age, I'm like, gosh, what's going to come next? You know, at this at this point in my life, I'm sort of like not surprised anymore. And I get a number of emails and messages, lest you think if you sent me one that you're the only one. You're not. I'm adding you to a list. Now, it's not you, but, you know, people you know. And so one day, this was like when I wrote my first book, it was called Hearing God, 2014, I released that book, and that book circulated like beyond what I thought it would. And so it got into the hands of a bunch of people, various churches, and I started traveling from church to church and speaking a lot and went to a lot of churches, went to a lot of places, a lot of regions. Anyways, so when your book gets out or when your teaching gets out, gets circulated, what happens is is there's more people to be able to put their eyes on it and ears to it and listen to what you have to say. Not everybody's going to agree with it especially because we've all been raised to believe certain things and to think a certain way, and we're not always the first people, can we just talk about this for a minute, to just go back to the Bible and say, is that what it says? I'm not suggesting I'm always right. I'm just saying that sometimes when something doesn't strike not what is true, but what we think is true, we have a tendency to go, well, that's not what the Bible says, rather than searching the scriptures, like in Acts chapter 17, the Bereans did that. And so they were honored because they studied the scriptures to see that these things were so. But I've run into a number of situations and a number of people who've got a hold of my book, and they'll do what Dave did one day. Now, Dave's just this random citizen that you wouldn't know. But he sends me an email. This was like several years ago, probably like 2015. Sends me an email, and it starts off with, hey, Pastor Ben, I really would like to get together with you and talk to you. Now, I don't know Dave. I have no idea who he is. And so I'm not really that inclined to... To just push away my schedule and get together with somebody. I don't, I'm not, I don't have the ability to do that. Now, I'll bend over backwards for church and for those that are a part of us. I try to. I try to be accessible. But this was before I was here. And so I said to him, hey, Dave, I'm sorry. My schedule's full. I'm not able to get together with you. Would you just go ahead? And he had Uh, in the email stated he has some concerns that he needs to talk to me about, you know, exclamation point, exclamation point, and, and whatever. And so I said, could you just share it on email? That's probably what I can do. And he said, sure. So he proceeds to share over a period of a day or two this long email stating all these concerns. And he basically said, hey, somebody gave me a copy of your book. I read a few chapters, not this one, a different one. And I read a few chapters, and I'm deeply concerned, and I believe that you're misleading people. Okay, didn't cite any references, didn't cite any passages. He just said, you're misleading people, and said, okay, well, my response back to him was, why don't you go ahead and explain that? Where am I misleading people? How am I, because I don't know this guy. I've never met him. He's never been to my church. He doesn't know who I am. He doesn't have a clue what I teach, right? He just read a few chapters of my book, and apparently I'm misleading people. So I said, why don't you explain that? And so he proceeds to, once again, not give any references, but cite an incredible amount of Bible verses, about false prophets. And he says at the end of it, I believe that you are a false prophet and you're leading people astray. And this wasn't the first time that I'd ever experienced this, so you don't have to feel bad for me. But I, I was like, oh man. I actually thought in the beginning of the conversation that he was gonna encourage me because he read the book and he thought, man, I've gotta talk. you Because I've led people to the Lord after reading my book. So I, I got, I'm, sometimes I get a little too accustomed to somebody giving me an encouragement. 10% it's gonna be a knife in the back kind of deal. And so I just, that day, I was feeling up on myself. I was feeling pretty good. Not like I'm amazing, but I was just encouraged in the Lord. And, and you know, that's not what he was doing. He was like, you're a false prophet. In the last days, God says that there's going to become many that are going to mislead people through lying signs and wonders and visions and so on, you know, and sort of supposing that I don't know the passages. And so he just proceeded to let me know all of those. And so I just said, well, hey, Dave, um, thanks for letting me know your opinion. And I respect your view. But the truth is, is that I don't believe I'm a false prophet. You didn't ask me any questions. You didn't cite any chapters of my book or any pages or any references for that matter. But what it seems to me is, is that you actually believe that people like me who believe in the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit still being for today, you have a difference in your theological understanding, and so what, what you've done, and I need you to hear me say this because I'm moving into where we're going. What you have done is you have decided that if you have a difference of theology with somebody, that makes them a false prophet and a heretic. Now, I want you to understand something. This is why the word false prophet gets thrown around. is because in the body of Christ, we have differences. I am a Pentecostal charismatic Christian. I'm not proud about that. It's just definition. I'm trying to help people understand that I represent this part of the body of Christ. Do I like everything that goes on in that charismatic camp? Heck no. <laughs> I don't think everything is the Holy Spirit. I don't swing from chandeliers and call it God. I don't think every prophecy is from the Lord. I don't think every speaking in tongues is appropriate without, you know, interpretation. I I mean, there's a lot of things that happen in the name of the Lord that are okay scripturally that I'm not okay with. They, They call charismatic. There are misuses and abuses. But because there are misuses and abuses does not mean that the Bible doesn't say that these things aren't so. I mean, if that's the case, none of us should get married, right? You seen any abuse or misuse of marriage? So if the proof text to not do something or believe in something is that it's not healthy, welcome to the broken planet with broken people who are trying to figure it out together in the name of Jesus. (laughs) All right, so here's what I found. I found that people have this idea that false prophets are people that they disagree with theologically. That's a lot of the time what happens. And I've found that people will throw around this term, false prophet, and all of that, to just try to manipulate somebody else and put them under rather than study themselves to see if there is a potentially different perspective scripturally. And because of a lack of experience on their part does not mean that everybody else has created a theology based on experience. That will be a criticism. People will say, well, you've based your theology on experience. And I would say, well, if it's in the Bible, that wouldn't be the case. But if I have an experience with God and it's in Scripture, or at least it's not violating Scripture, there's nothing wrong with that. But you too cannot develop your theology on a lack of experience. That also would be equally unhealthy. We would agree with that, right? And so this is really important for us to understand. And I think my point is, is that oftentimes we don't really know what a false prophet is because of the way that we see The world, the way that we see theology, the way that we see people. But we do need to know this. Jesus did say that many false prophets would arise. The Bible says this very clearly, Matthew 24 in verse 10. He says, at that time, and He's Jesus in Matthew 24 is talking about eschatology. He's talking about this end times. The disciples ask him a question like, when are these things going to happen? When's the temple going to be torn down? We know that happened in 70 A.D., So they're having this dialogue about end times, and people have forever tried to understand the time frames of Matthew 24, and also later chapters in the various gospels. And Jesus is talking in the middle of this. He says, At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray each other and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And he's talking about a future time. Many false prophets will appear. And I want you to know something. Jesus could have just said every person that claims to be a prophet is false. That would have been easier. But some theology has actually said that, that everybody who prophesies is false. Now, that would be, right, that's called cessationism. Cessationism is that we no longer believe in the baptism or what we believe about the baptism. The power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the miracles that come through the people of God by the power of the Spirit, we don't believe in that or subscribe to that anymore. This is sort of this ideology. I don't really think it's, it's healthy. I don't agree with it. But this idea or this theology that's out there shuts down the idea that prophets are even among us. Now, I've talked to you already about prophets as more of a job description, and it's not a badge of honor. It's not a title that goes on a business card. And so what we've done is we've put, we love putting people on pedestals, I think. I mean, you see monuments built to people, even though people had, some of them had horrible lives, they didn't do everything right, but we put them on pedestals. We shrine people for some of their good deeds and we dismiss the bad ones. But the reality is, is we're all human beings. Those of us that follow Jesus, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're seeking to do what God tells us to do, to follow him, but we do that imperfectly. And so it's important for us to know that just because somebody is not perfect does not mean that they're a false prophet. Everybody is imperfect. Everybody is being perfected in Christ. There will be, however, false prophets that arise, and Jesus gives this warning, and it should provoke us for a sense of need for equipping and discernment, which I hope That I can help you with if you have some of these questions about what false prophets are, how can we discern them, how can we distinguish them from real prophets who are immature or even prophetic ministry, not just prophets. And so what I want to talk to you about first is what is a false prophet. Let's just define it. But before we do that, we've got to identify something that is most important in this conversation, and that is you and I have an enemy, all right, the Bible makes it really clear that our wrestle, our battle, is not against flesh and blood, all right, not just against people. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 2.11, for we are not aware of the devil's schemes. This word schemes is like schematics, blueprints. We're not, aware, we're not unaware that the devil has schemes. Paul says in Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We're at war with Satan, we're at war with demonic forces, we understand that they're constantly scheming our demise, and one of the greatest tools in their toolbox is deception. We have to understand, this goes back all the way to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, Satan himself appears somehow, like we talk about the snake and Adam and Eve, and he lies to Eve and deceives her. This is his trickery. Now, we aren't gonna have a face-to-face encounter with Satan, but we are going to be lied to by demonic spirits. And I've talked about that in earlier sessions where if you remember when I talked about it, hearing God, like the enemy's not gonna come knock on our door per se, but spirits, demonic spirits, have the ability to transmit thoughts. And that's why not every thought that we have comes just from our brain, and not every thought comes from God. We will have some thoughts will actually be from the enemy. Now, the enemy does not know what we think. That's not his power. The enemy is not omnipresent. That's why demonic spirits work together. I could spend a lot of time just talking to you about that, but suffice it to say, the enemy is seeking our demise. Deception is this primary tool, and this is what a false prophet is. A false prophet is a voice for the enemy, So one of the ways that the enemy tries to invade into our space and to our world is to deceive someone, basically get them on his side, and then they become a voice for his agenda. Do you see what I'm saying here? It's a campaign, and we understand that in a political season, do we not? And so this is what he's an advertiser, and he's going to try to deceive one in order to deceive many. This is the work of the enemy. This is how... That it works. And so our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but flesh and blood people will often be the voice of the enemy that we are actually warring with. So just because our wrestle is not with flesh and blood, it doesn't mean flesh and blood won't be a part of our battle, if that makes sense. And so we've got to learn how to identify what's behind what's being said, what's behind what's being done, so we truly know what we're up against. And I think that's really important for us. But what is a false prophet? A false prophet is a person who shares prophetic words or revelation from another source, not the Holy Spirit, either their carnal mind or a demonic spirit. Let me be really clear. A false prophet is not a Christian, okay? This is really important for us to get. A false prophet throughout Scripture is not a regenerate person does not have the Holy Spirit, does not follow Jesus, might be lying about following Jesus, but is not a follower of Christ. We have to cross that line because biblically it is impossible to understand the passages about false prophets unless we come to the place where we recognize that they just are not followers of Yahweh in the Old Covenant and Jesus, Yahweh being his father, and we see that from Scripture, and so this is really important for us to know. The intention of a false prophet is to lead people away from following the true God in exchange for a false one, whether that false God, little g, is an actual demon spirit or just something that they've made up, a d- demonic entity of some kind or just some kind of idol. Now, Deuteronomy 13, verse, chapter 13, verse 1, listen to this, I'll... Um, just share with you what I think about it in a second. This is what it says here to the people of Israel about to go into the promised land. Moses' final, final dissertation, he's not going into the promised land, but he's telling them some things in preparation for them going. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you, I want you to hear that, appears among you, not already with you, okay, somebody that you won't know. If they appear among you and announce to you a sign or a wonder, if that sign or wonder spoken of takes place... And the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet. Now, I want you to hear that. If a prophet comes among you, says something, it happens, does something that's miraculous, but then tells you to follow another god, do not listen to them. I want you to see something right there. Accuracy of a prophetic word was not just the Lippman's test of a false prophet, There were times where somebody, a prognosticator, one who was practicing divination, maybe banged it, got it right, said something based on knowledge. Demonic spirits have knowledge. They don't have foreknowledge. And so he's saying just because they have something right or miraculous does not mean that they're truly from God. And I feel like that's one thing people of God need to understand. There are lying signs and wonders. What was the Littman's test? Who are they asking you to follow and worship? Are they leading you to the one true God or are they leading you astray? The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. The Lord your God is the one you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him. Serve him, hold fast to him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord. Why? Because he led the people of God to follow some other God. Right? Put him to death. That's That's what they said. That prophet or dreamer incited you to rebellion against the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, redeemed you from the land of slavery, that prophet or dreamer tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. What does this mean? False prophets will often prophesy also the exact opposite of what God has said. How do we know that? Jeremiah 14 and verse 11. And there were many prophets during Jeremiah's day that were telling the people That what Yahweh was saying through Jeremiah and other contemporary prophets, that you are about to be judged and go into exile, it's not true. They were speaking peace, peace, when it was not a time of peace, peace. And Jeremiah says this, "'Then the Lord said to me, "'Do not pray for the well-being of this people.'" We're just going to keep going on because you could preach on that. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with the sword, famine, and plague. But I said, Alas, Jeremiah says, Sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them. The prophets are the ones that are lying to the people. Yes, they're believing them, but the prophets are lying to the people. And they're saying, You will not see the sword or suffer famine. Indeed, I will give you lasting peace in this place. And then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, delusions of their own mind. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the prophets who are prophesying in my name I did not send them, yet they are saying all of these things. Those same prophets will perish by the sword, they will reap what they've sown. He talks about the calamity that's going to come upon them. What does that mean? False prophets will say the exact opposite of what God is saying.
0: Pastor Ben, I'll be back in a minute. But first, here he is explaining why he wrote his book, Prophesy. I think it's important to explain why I wrote the book, Prophesy.
1: One of the reasons that I did was because I had been ministering prophetically, and I've traveled all over the United States. I've traveled internationally. I've seen what prophetic ministry looks like in the charismatic and Pentecostal church, and probably like many of you, I've been pretty dissatisfied. I've seen some of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and some of the strange, and I realize that the Scripture actually talks quite a bit about something. Various chapters devoted to it. We see in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two that it says that we shall prophesy. And that's actually, of course comes right out of Joel chapter two. So what does that mean? What is that about? Why is that not covered or talked about? What is it that we need to know that maybe we don't know? And in the, in light of and in contrast to some of the strange things that we see, I thought to myself, we have to have a biblical foundation for this, number one. And number two, we've got to have a healthy trajectory of how to prophesy. What does healthy prophetic ministry really look like? What should it look like? What could it look like in the church? And I've seen that. I mean, I've led meetings. I've led ministry teams. I train people to speak prophetically. And I think it's important that we learn how it is that we can be a prophetic church, a prophetic people, and it's not strange and it's not weird and it doesn't usurp the Word of God, but rather it actually brings a fuller expression of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our midst. And so I wrote the book Prophesy to be like a manual for people that really wanted to have healthy prophetic ministry in their church. And I believe that's what it's going to provide for those that read it, As individuals, you'll be encouraged by it. For those that read it that are part of a church, whether you're a leader on a team, a pastor, I believe it's going to equip you to actually help walk your people through what health looks like to have prophetic ministry based on Scripture and also with enough experience sprinkled in there to help you build
0: something that's sustainable and that ministers to people with great benefit. Thanks, Pastor Ben. To get your own copy of his book, Prophesy, Go to our website, IgniteGlobalRadio.org. That's IgniteGlobalRadio.org and click on the Books button at the top right side of the page. Now, let's get back to his message, False Prophets.
1: This isn't kind of, and I I need you to see the, the stark reality of this. This isn't kind of different from what God was saying. This is entirely different from what God was saying. God was saying, go east, and the false prophets were saying, go west. God was saying, Judgment is coming, submit to what's going on. And the false prophets are saying, Peace, peace, it's cool. It's cool. Go get Chick fil A, get some Starbucks, hang out where you are. Everything's going to be fine. What's a sword? They're not even sharp. It's fine. False prophets will also intentionally lie by telling people what they want to hear in order to gain favor or even a following of others. Why am I saying that? Because I believe that we can follow lying voices if it's something that we want to hear. I preached that to you. You you might remember 2 Timothy chapter four. I shared that. The Lord gave me a revelation and showed me in a time that we're living in right now. He said, there's gonna come a time, 2 Timothy chapter four, where people will not endure sound doctrine. Not just the teaching of it, But the exhortation to live it, to do what's hard in a season that's already difficult, to submit and to yield, to to live in the tension, right? People are not going to endure sound doctrine. Why? Because it's easier to cross the line. The flesh is natural. You don't have to tell me twice. You don't have to tell me to get angry. It's a natural thing. But we come together to exhort each other to live in the love of Christ, to submit and yield our lives to him so that we would be Christ-like. That's why the WWJD thing is so important. But I shared with you, he goes on to say there'll be a time where people won't endure sound doctrine. And he goes on to say that they will gather for themselves teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, I want you to park right there. Don't think about anybody else. Think about yourself for a second, right? I'm gonna just keep saying this tonight. What do you want to hear? Now, some of what you wanna hear is truth. But before we assume, we gotta go to the scriptures because we're in a time we've never been before. We're going through things we've never gone through before. And we need to go deep into God's word like we've never gone through before. And when we do that, what we're gonna find is God's word to us. But what happens is before we actually dig into what God's saying, before we fast and we pray, we assume what God's saying, and then we'll gather together all people that will say what we want to hear, and it will justify what we want to hear rather than clarify what God is actually saying. Because I, I used to think that that was an easy one to discern. I used to think that, oh, yeah, it's always those people that are inspiring rebellion. What if it's just people that are inciting the flesh? And it doesn't look like rebellion against God per se, but it looks like this is what God is saying to do. This is what God wants us to do right now, and it is the opposite of what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us, but we're not on our face and we're not on our knees and we're not seeking the Lord and we're not fasting and praying and we're not studying the scriptures to see what He is saying right now and we're not desperate for God. Come on, anybody else? We're not hungry for the Lord. We're just assuming that we know what truth is and I want truth and I know what truth already is. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you already know what truth is, you don't need to study the Bible, Right? We don't need to pray and fast and seek his face, humble ourselves, turn from our wicked ways. We don't need all that. We already know because God definitely thinks what I always think. Right, because why would he think differently than how I think? I want you to think about that for a second. God always agrees with me. Maybe there are times where we've made our own thinking God. Uh Uh-oh. You're getting in trouble tonight. Come on, I'm talking to myself. Somebody's like, preach it. I'm like, all right. We're talking about false prophets. Fundamental issue regarding false prophets is that they're not Christians. They do not have the Holy Spirit. I found there's two kinds of false prophets we need to be aware of. First, there are those who literally represent and speak for another God. You remember in the Old Testament when the prophets of Israel would say, thus saith the Lord... I said this many, many times. You can see it in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, so on and so forth. Elijah would, Elijah would say this as well. Thus saith the Lord. When you read in the Bible, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, it's Yahweh, the covenant name of God to his people, Yahweh. Now, I'm not saying it the right way because we don't know how quite to say his name. That's why a lot of people won't even try to spell it because we've lost the spelling and the, and the ability to say it properly. But in the old covenant, the covenant name of God, Right? Yahweh. Thus saith Yahweh. They were not you know, just putting a tagline onto a prophecy. See, in church sometimes in the new covenant, you'll go into churches and they'll say, thus saith the Lord. They said that in the old covenant because there were other gods and there were other prophets of other gods. And there were those prophets who were saying, thus saith Baal, thus saith Ashtoreth. There were other gods that other nations followed. So when a prophet of Yahweh, a prophet of the Lord, stepped up and said, this is what the Lord is saying, they were distinguishing what God they were speaking for. It wasn't a tagline. All right, so you have to follow me on this. It's really important. It was the God they were representing. It was the God they were speaking for. Now, we don't believe there are other gods. We believe there are demons. And so there were other gods gods. Now, modern day, people don't say these kinds of things. They don't say this is what Baal is saying, all right? But there are mystics, and there are psychics, and there are other religions. All of that. There are all kinds of other religions. So there are prophets of these other religions that write all kinds of other books, that say all kinds of other things And they're not from Scripture, and they're not from the Lord, and they're not through the Holy Spirit. So we need to understand that. Yes, there are many other religions. And today, we could call those people prophets. Even though people do not call themselves prophets, does not mean that they are not being a mouthpiece or a voice for another lying spirit, right? Demon God. So today, that still happens. It just looks a little different. The second kind of false prophet are those who deceitfully present themselves as a true follower of Jesus when they're not, and they share prophetic words claiming that God is the source. But you and I cannot know who those are right away. We have to be able to discern the fruit of their life. We have to be able to discern the spirit that they are speaking from and Often we want to see if what they're saying comes to pass, but that cannot be the only thing that we look at because if that's all that we look at, what if they're right and they're still not filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you see what I'm saying? So a lot of times people say, well, if it's really from God, then it has to be 100% true. Well, my question is, what if it's true? Do you think that it's really from God? Because there are passages that show us if somebody were to get it right, what God are they leading towards? My point is, is that there are people who will rise up in the name of Jesus but they didn't come in the name of Jesus and they don't speak in the name of Jesus. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. I have met a number of these and that is not as difficult to distinguish as some people make it out to be. Sometimes there's such a skepticism like, these people are all false prophets and this church is a false prophet. Listen, we've gotta be careful with watching YouTube. Can I talk to you for a minute? No, seriously. We've gotta be careful with watching YouTube because there are probably... Hundreds of thousands of videos, and people have made it their business to chop down other ministries. I don't even know why. I don't have the time to do stuff like that. But there are a lot of people out there that are producing videos and content in order to try to tell everybody else who they have no influence with personally who is right and who is wrong. And I'm positive that a lot of people are not actually studying the Scriptures They're not actually seeking the Lord. They're not actually really studying the Bible to see what is right and what is wrong. They're making it their business to chop down everybody. Now, I'm not saying all of those videos are wrong. Some of them might be right. But my point is, is that there are people who have tried to say, well, you need to look into this and you need to look at that. No, I don't. I don't have time. God's given me authority over my home. God has given me authority over my church. God has given me authority with my influences and my relationship. I've never been there. I'm never gonna go there. I don't know anybody that talks about there. I am not interested in spending any of my time watching videos about people I do not know. And I would suggest the same for you as well. Spend our time in the word. We need to get off these videos and all that. I've had people contend with me based on a video that they watch and their pastor is sitting right in front of them. I'm like, you're not even listening to me. And you're listening to Joe Blow, you don't even know if he has a good life. You don't know if he beats his kids. You don't know if he even reads his Bible. And I'm sitting right here. I have a credible witness. My wife's right there. You can ask her questions after this. It's not just your words. It's also your life. You've got to be known and and known among the community. Like, come on. This is craziness. You know, so get off YouTube. (laughs) I love you. I say that the nicest possible way. If it encourages you, that's fine. So what is the false prophet? We've talked about that a little bit, and we're coming down the hill, but I got so much to say. Now, I wanna to talk to you just a little bit about distinguishing the immature from the false, because that's really, really important. The majority of teaching about false prophets is, is, is either you are a false prophet or, or you're not, but there's literally no teaching for how to understand what is an immature prophet. So there's this idea then that if a person is a prophet or has a prophetic gift, that it's got to be like Isaiah quality right away. Now, let me remind you, we've talked about how Isaiah wrote scripture, and there's only about 15 prophets in the entire Bible that wrote eternal scripture. So to equate the ministry of anybody in this room or on this planet with Isaiah is something that should not happen. Number one, we are not equating our words to the words of Scripture. And if you are, you're already starting in the wrong place. You with me on this? It's really important that we've got to learn how to distinguish the immature from the mature, not just the false from the real. And I think what happens is we have a whole system for developing pastors and leaders. You can go to seminaries and learn how to teach the Word of God. But you can't go to a school of the prophets. They don't have much for these gifts. So Ephesians 4 and verse 11 said, and he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We've got entire systems and seminaries set up to train pastors, to to train Bible teachers. And that's amazing. But there are not a lot of places for prophets to go, and many of these places that they can go are not places that I would send them to go. And so the reality is, is that we've got to have some compassion Because if we want to have the mature, then we've got to walk through the discipleship process in order to get there. If we were mad at our children who were five because they didn't act like they were 25, who's the one with the problem? Aren't you thankful for the patience of the Lord? Think about God's patience towards you. And by the way, I think it's really important that we also allow for a theology of discipleship as it pertains to gifting. Now, if you ask me a question, which I've been asked at least a hundred times, Ben, do you believe that people can grow in the gifts? The answer is absolutely. People have to grow in everything. So the next question is, do you think you can teach people to prophesy? Of course I can. I cannot teach people you know, how to get a certain word from God, God's God. We can't demand what he say. We can just posture ourselves in order to hear what he will say. So can you teach people how to pray? Can you teach people how to listen? Can you teach people how to fast and seek the face of God and study the word of God and and know how it is that they receive a word from the Lord? Of course. How would you even know if God spoke through dreams and visions if you didn't have a study of Scripture? I remember the days when I became a Christian and I would have people who didn't believe in prophecy would say, well, you just need to read the Bible. And then I would read the Bible and 234 times it references dreams and visions. And so what do you do with that? See, there are, there's a theology behind people's words. And so my theology is this that it does take time to grow in ministering in the Spirit. Now, that just, it takes time. We've got to learn how to minister in the Spirit. And I think that there's a lack of theology here. There's a lack of discipleship here. I can't make everybody prophesy at the same level, and I don't have a magic wand, but I can teach people how to discern a word from the Lord, how to compare it to Scripture. I can teach people how to discern the anointing. I can teach people to listen for the voice of the Lord. I can teach people the biblical ways that God communicates. I mean, how many classes do you actually see that are on this kind of stuff? Seriously? And so when people ask me questions like, Can you teach people to prophesy? Well, my question is this Can you teach people to teach the Bible? We've accepted that, we've allowed for that discipleship process. But what happens is every time there's something supernatural, we don't allow for a discipleship process because you either have a gift or you don't have a gift, which assumes that if you have a gift of prophecy or someone's a prophet, that they're automatically mature. No, 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 no. You're not automatically mature in anything. Nobody is walking around like Isaiah. Nobody is walking around like Jesus the Christ. People are walking after Jesus the Christ, and we are seeking to make Jesus the Christ known. And so our ministry is going to develop And it's going to grow depending upon our spiritual growth. If we're in the Word, if we're listening to the Spirit, if we're living a life of prayer, if we're connected to the body, and if we're moving forward, we will continue to learn how to minister as God calls us to. But this requires all kinds of other things. I've met so many people that have this aversion to discipleship when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. And I try to help them. I try to help them understand how important that discipleship is. But usually people that have an aversion to it either don't have discipleship relationships or they grew up thinking this was wrong or they've just been highly influenced by somebody that thinks that this is just weird. But they misunderstand what's even being said. I'm not teaching people how to get the word they want from God because you can't, he's God, he speaks. We've just gotta posture ourselves and learn how to discern. But it's important that we remember False prophets are not Christians. Immature prophets are Christians, or immature prophets are Christians who are still in need of discipleship as it pertains to following Jesus and their gifting. True prophets will make mistakes. They will display character flaws. They will misinterpret and misapply prophetic revelation. They will fail to adhere to wisdom principles in both life and ministry. Sometimes people can be very compulsive and say something before they should have said it. Have you ever known something? and you, instead of praying it and weighing it, you started saying it, that's what I would teach you not to do. You see what I'm saying? It's good for you to go to the prophecy class because I'm gonna teach people how to steward a word of God, how to intercede properly. These things are principles that you must learn, and you must learn them from people that have learned them the hard way, okay? (laughs) That's what this is about, and that's what we're talking about. I don't think we have a license to sin, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning that really loves the Lord and wants to minister in the spirit, they just wake up in the morning and go, you know, I really want to blow it today. I want to get up and I want to get a delusion in my head about what I think God might be saying. And I just want to lodge that as many people as possible. I just want to spread that around just, just like butter, just, just spread it all around. I don't know anybody like that. The only people I know like that have an intentionality to spread falsehood and, and rumors and lies. That, those are the people that we're talking about. Sometimes I run across people who say things like, the Old Testament says that any prophet who gives a prophecy that doesn't come to pass will be killed. I've been questioned on this. Now, I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 18 again. We did look at it, but I want to look at it again. And that reference comes from this, but usually we don't dig too deeply into the context, but let's do that. De- Deuteronomy eighteen eighteen. And this is what God's saying to Moses and Moses is reiterating to the people. I will, God's saying, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. He's saying to, through Moses, I will raise up a prophet. Now I've already shared with you Acts 322 Acts chapter 7. Mm-hmm. The prophet was Jesus the Christ. So this is a specific messianic reference. I will raise up a prophet from among your people. He will be an Israelite. He will be a Jew. And my words will be in his mouth. I shall speak to them all that, I comm- all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. We never preach that part of it. We never preach that part of it. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks, or, the prophet who speaks presumptuously in my name, Which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. We've already read about that from Deuteronomy 13. Why? Because they're leading people astray to following other gods. This is not just about having an inaccuracy, this is about stepping into representation as the Messiah. They speak in my name, they are presumptive in the way that they are representing God and his coming Messiah. The context dictates what exactly this is talking about. Now, if somebody spoke in the name of other gods and led people astray, did God tell them to kill that person? He did. He also told them to kill many others, including some family members when the way they acted. And this is very true. And this is very severe. This is very serious. Who people are leading others towards is very serious to the Lord. He said, you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of them. So this is a second reference. What are we talking about here? First, we're talking about the coming of Jesus who would establish a new covenant. This is a messianic prophecy about that prophet. We know that's the interpretation from the book of Acts. But to suggest this passage is a good reference for how to deal with true prophets who make a mistake is a misunderstanding of the verse. That is not what it's talking about. It's talking about who, and it's talking specifically about when. We're talking about a time when Scripture was still being written. We're talking about a person who would represent that messianic reign, and when they step in and say, this is what the Lord is saying, during a time where Scripture is being written, The canon has not been closed at this time. Prophets who step up in the name of the Lord have that type of anointing on their lives, as we've already read about. And so this is a very serious thing. And it isn't to say that prophets in the New Testament can just miss it and it doesn't matter. It is to say that this was a specific representation, and we've got to understand the context. This is also dealing with a false prophet who is intending to mislead people, which is what exactly happened. So here's the thing, a false prophet doesn't get a prophecy wrong, only they lead people away from God. A true prophet or immature prophetic person will get it wrong sometimes. They may wrongly emphasize important details, misinterpreting visions, dreams, or saying something the wrong way. Now, let me just give you an illustration to sum this up, okay? All right, so let's say you go to the bank and you get three $100 bills. For whatever reason, one of those $100 bills is a counterfeit, and you don't know it. Nobody tells you that. You didn't know that. You don't have one of those yellow markers to tell the difference because we're not bankers. So we have $300 bills. We go on down to Fred Meyers and we spend one of those $100 bills. And that cashier takes out one of those yellow pens and goes, this is a fake. You're gonna have to talk to the police. The police come down and they apprehend you and they have a little conversation with you. And they say, hey, Mr. Ben Dixon, this is a fake $100 bill. Did you know that? And I say, no, I did not. And they say, well, where did you get it? this $100 bill. And I said, I just went on down to Chase or Bank of America or Wells Fargo or whichever one you don't like. I went on down to that one. I went on down to that one and this is what the teller, here's my receipt. And they go, okay, well, we're gonna go down there and question them. Now, let me ask you a question. Does it matter if you knew that you were spending a fake or not? Is there a difference? So let's say that I got it from somebody else because I paid $20 for a $100 bill. I got a sweet smoking deal. And then I went to Fred Myers and I spent that counterfeit and I knew I spent it and they did the same thing. You're going to talk to the police and I talked to the police and I don't have the same story. I meant to do it. It matters that I meant to intentionally spend a counterfeit. There's a huge difference. One, you're going to jail. Another one, you're just given a story where you're tracing the source, All right. And you're going home that night, sleeping in your own bed. Hopefully you're going to get your $100 back. My point is that sometimes people act like there's not that big of a difference. Friends, there's a huge difference. If you know that you are trying to deceive people, that is a false prophet. If you thought that you were really sharing a word from the Lord and you made a mistake, then you're going to make an apology. Now, what I'm not doing is training up people to make mistakes. What I am saying is we're going to grow. And if we're unwilling to grow, we are never going to have a prophetic church The reason that there are so few churches that ever have any prophecy in their church is because they are unwilling to ever try and therefore make a mistake. Good luck with that. It doesn't work. Now, let me just share this. Have you ever seen somebody misinterpret a Bible verse? No, I just want to throw something out because I've been thinking. I've been thinking about stuff. Do you think that it's more serious if I said to Mike over here, if I said, Mike, I feel like the Lord is saying dot, 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 and Mike goes, well, dot, dot, dot is not true about my life. And I made a mistake. Mike, you love me, right? Well, let's say I made a mistake, Mike. Would you think that it is more harmful for me to do that and make a mistake or for me to take a Bible verse so far out of context and lead people away from the true meaning of Scripture? Which one do you think is more serious? Do you know why it's more serious to, to have a real bad Bible interpretation? It's serious because you've now shaped the way that people think of God's holy word. I would be more concerned about false teachers than I would about false prophets. The Bible says that there's both, and we need to know that. The doctrines of demons, deception, ladies and gentlemen, is happening through what we're influenced by. And currently, it's not necessarily in the church, while a lot of the church is looking at all these other churches and saying, look at how, I mean, there, are, there is error and erroneous teaching in the church, okay? But do you want to know where most people are being influenced? It is not the church. Our buildings are not full. Our online numbers are not that high. Do you know what online numbers are that high? Have you checked out the music lately? Have you checked out Netflix lately? I don't know about you, but when you go on Netflix and it says number one in America, there's an ideology around these television shows. Do you think for a second that that is not what's shaping the young minds of America? It is not the erroneous teaching in the church. We've got to help people separate their understanding from where the stuff is actually coming from. If you spend two hours a day watching television and listening to music that advocates for the sin that Jesus died for, do you really think anybody even cares what the church is teaching when that is the primary influence of our culture? And I'm not bashing. I'm just simply saying this is the reality. The reason that I'm a strict dad is because I came from somewhere, y'all. I came from somewhere. I was not in church when I was a kid. I was running. I mean, I know what it's about. And the duplicity of our culture is what's shaping our minds. Secularism, humanism, it is not just the falsehood of the church. Now, does that have a part to play? Yes, it does. But I think sometimes Christians are so overtly concerned about the falsehood that's going on here, and they have no handle on what's going on out there whatsoever, And they're casual about it. They have no clue what's going on on their kids' iPads, iPods, or any of that kind of stuff. I'll tell you what's going on in their world. It's craziness that's going on in there. When I was a youth pastor, I'm getting off topic, but I'm staying here for a second. When I was a youth pastor, I remember having one and a half hours a week with kids. I had an hour and a half to try to compel them to follow Jesus. And I remember sometimes parents were discouraged with me, like I was supposed to have some miracle juice that their kids could sip. And then they're gonna go home and they're gonna put this stuff into their, into their mind and into their heart. Now, I'm not, again, I mean, I could come against this and bash it. That's not my point. I'm just saying, if I'm teaching purity to young people and they put in music that says, have sex, have sex, have sex, go at it, do this, this is what you ought to do, which one's gonna win? I'm already in a losing battle, and I'm here, I am trying to compel young people to keep their virginity, and they're making fun of it in my youth group. Like, here's this gift to give away to your spouse, and they're just like, what's this God, what freaking heck is wrong with them? It's a beautiful gift to give away to your spouse that you get to give to them someday, and I just look crazy. I was like, we need to restore the blush. <laughs> you know, it's like, I used to preach that stuff, right? Restore the blush. I'm saying this stuff, you're not even blushing. <laughs> you know, it's like, so I'm sorry, I'm sorry. All right. You know? It's like there's no innocence anymore. There's no innocence anymore. You strip innocence away from a culture and a generation, and the church becomes utterly irrelevant. I think, listen, we're so consumed sometimes in the church with the false. We need to be consumed with the real. The point of knowing the false is to prune it so that we can obtain the real. First Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe it's verse 19 through 21. He says, examine. He's talking about prophecy. Examine all things, right? And hold fast to that which is good. Not examine all things and everything you find that's bad, make a YouTube video about it so you can spin it all over the internet and gain followers because that's probably what a lot of people are trying to do, right? Hold fast to that which is good. We've got to become experts at the good. I, I worked at Chase Bank for two, almost two and a half years. I was a teller for a while and then an accounts rep, right? I started out right after I got saved. It was awesome. And I remember when they taught you how to figure out what a counterfeit was, the point was that you're supposed to count real money You count real money, you receive real money, you give real money. The point was real money, but you had to know what was false so you didn't take it and give it. That was the point because you take and you give real. The whole point of my job was real, real, real. So you got to know what false is for one specific purpose so that you don't transact as the real. That was it, but you've got to be consumed all day was about real money. And that's what I think the church sometimes loses in all of this. That's why we have petty arguments. We are so okay with having a powerless church, no gifts, no prophecy, no healing, no evangelism, and we're fighting over these little fake and phony things that somebody's doing across the world. I don't care. I mean, I want us. To get desperate, not just you, but us, right? Like to be desperate for God in a way where we're compelled towards God. We want God and we won't let the other things get in the way. I want you to discern, but I want you to discern so that you lay hold of the real. And I just honestly, when we went through this 21-day fast, I told our church, I said, "Just get off that stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, I know it was probably hard, but some of us probably didn't do it. And I'm telling you, if you do it, you'll hear what I'm saying because the voice of God's going to go up. And the voices of others just goes down. You watch what happens. Something starts to go on inside of you. That revival that we're praying for starts to happen inside of you.
0: Christians sometimes are overly concerned about false prophecy. It's time to examine all things and hold fast to that which is good. It's time to be desperate for God and lay hold of the real, the good. I encourage you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for the radio ministry of Ignite Global Radio as Pastor Ben continues to teach us the Word of God in a profound, powerful, purposeful way. Now, once again, here he is with a final encouragement to set yourself up for being able to easily discern what is of God and what is not. We're talking about false prophets today, and I think it's so important
1: that we actually understand what a false prophet is and there's a section obviously i talk about that in this message because it's so important today you hear this thrown around it's this idea that false prophets are all around us and you know what they are but they're not as hard to discern as people might make it seem sometimes it's almost like anybody could be a false prophet but the bible gives us great clarity as to what a false prophet is first a false prophet is going to be somebody who is speaking for another god or in another religion in in modern-day circumstances. That's the first kind of false prophet. The second kind of false prophet is one who is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And that is somebody that's going to be discerned by the fruit of their life, the character, the way in which they're known among the community. Are they living a Christian lifestyle? Are they representing Jesus in a biblical way? And that's why, let me just say this. One of the healthiest things that we can do is be connected and stay connected to the local church. There are three things that disciple us. That is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. When we live our lives as disciples connected to those three things, we will find that not only will we be discipled, but we will have a biblical clarity and discernment that will be able to see what is false, what is error, what is wrong and what is unhealthy, and that includes false prophets, that includes false teaching, that includes things that are not healthy for us, that includes the flesh. When we have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God in our life in an increasing measure, I can tell you this, you and I will be healthy, and our discernment will continue
0: to grow and be at full strength. You've been listening to Ignite Global Radio Featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon The lead pastor of Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way As you can tell, he has a passion for biblical truth Real discipleship and empowered living For Pastor Ben and the entire staff here at Ignite Thanks for listening And be sure to join us next week for his message The Prophetic Gifts Ignite is a ministry of Northwest Foursquare Church.